Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about five thousand of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. See if I can be sure to get my microphone on. Can everybody hear me? Good. Good. Well, you know, this, uh, this text, talking about the feeding of the 5,000, has a lot of things in it, but the one thing I want to take from it for you is the fact that uh, Andrew found a boy, found a lad that had uh, a basket that had some uh, loaves and fishes in it. Two fishes and five loaves. And the text also says something else that was interesting to me was that Jesus was talking to Philip. Philip came and said, how can we feed all these people? And, and Jesus uh, tested him. He said he, because he, he, he himself knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew what he was going to do before he did it. Anyway, he, uh, he, they, they found, Andrew found this boy. And the boy had a basket with him. And he was able to share what he had in the basket with, with Philip. And they took the loaves and fishes and fed all the people. Jesus knew the boy was there. He knew it because he knew what was going to happen beforehand. He knew the boy was there. Although the boy is not named particularly, he's anonymous for our sakes. He's not named particularly, yet his name lives on or his deed lives on in infamy because he was the guy that had the loaves and fishes and he shared them. He's not named but and nor particularly identified, but we can make some legitimate conclusions about what he did and who he was. We know something about this boy. The first thing we know is that he was definitely interested in Jesus. He was there. Can you imagine a boy following that crowd of our generation, for instance? Jesus was talking about spiritual things. In our terms, we'd say he's, he's making religious talk. And here was a boy following that whole crowd he was among them. He was there. 
He was there because he had some interest in what was going on. He chose to pursue and listen to a man who was teaching the things of God. That's what the boy was doing. That's why he was there. We also know that he had foresight. He brought something to eat. <laughs> Nothing is said about anybody else in the crowd having anything to eat. No one had anything. We're empty. But the boy had something to eat. Not only for him. He had more than enough. He had not only enough for himself, but he had enough for others. So he apparently looked ahead and thought, well, somebody's going to get hungry, and I'm going to be there with something for them to eat. He probably also knew there was going to be a long day. Because whenever Jesus talked and people came to him, he usually took them all day to get done. So he knew it was going to be a long day, so he brought something to eat. So he showed maturity by his preparation, both for himself and for others. He was not only preparing, preparing for himself, he was preparing for someone else. So he was mature-minded. Well, I'm thinking back about Jesus, who, who went into the city of Jerusalem when he was 12 years old, remember? And went into the temple and sat down and was talking Bible things, scriptural things with the leaders of Israel. So this boy showed some maturity of heart, maturity of purpose. He appeared to be generous because when Andrew took the fish and the, and the loaves from him, he didn't resist him, didn't fight back and say, wait a minute, this is for me and my family. He was a generous, generous boy. So he, uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't selfish. And not only that, but nothing in the text says that he was asking for the remnants afterwards, the leftovers. So he could take home. Nothing said about that. He was respectful. He didn't argue with Andrew. Just turned over the fish and loaves. He was patient. Because they weren't eating until the last part of the day. He was patient. He'd been waiting all day with them. So he didn't stop and eat everything himself. He was patient. Patient young man. He's an impress impressive young man, isn't he? He was to me when I was reading this. And he made no claim for credit. We don't see him standing up and saying, Hey, look what I did. Those were my loaves and my fishes that fed that crowd. Nothing, nothing along that line. The main point is that I want to share with you today my church family. Each one of you. The main point I want to share with you is that this boy gives us a pretty good pattern of our usefulness, however small it might be, in the kingdom of God. Jesus had a use for this boy. We don't even know his name. But we do know some things about him and what he did. He was humble, but he was essential. He was necessary for what Jesus did. He answers a very fundamental question to all of us. What can I do for the Lord? What can I do? What did this boy do? You say, well, he just had loaves and fishes. Yes, he did. But there's some, there's some very interesting things that this boy did. Let's see. There he is with the loaves and fishes. What did he do? You say, well, he just gave him loaves and fishes. Let's look again. This boy was available. He was willing, dependable. Involved and humble. The first thing was that he was available. 
As a matter of fact, the text says, here is a lad. He didn't say, wait a minute. Andrew didn't say, wait a minute, Lord. I'm going to run down to Capernaum and see if I can find somebody that was loaves and fishes. He didn't say, I'm going to go over here to Tiberias and say, I'm even not even going to run down to a village. He said, here is a lad. He was here. There he was. He was available. So when I think about what can I do for the Lord, what I need to think is, I need to be what? I need to be available. When the Lord needs me, I need to be there. Isn't that correct? That's what this boy was. These are lessons I think that are there for a reason. I, I need to be there. Jesus knew about the boy. He knew that he was there, although he's not named particularly. He knew he was there. And he knew that he was available. He was available to serve. Now then, Paul said it this way, and maybe in more eloquent fashion than, than Andrew did. Andrew said, there's a lad here. That's all he said. Paul said, you know what? You need to be there too. That's what he said. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 through 21, he said, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. In other words, he said, look at this. God's foundation is firm. Why? Why is it steady and strong? Having this seal, the Lord knows them that are His. What's he saying? The Lord knows that you're here. That's what he's saying. That's why the foundation is strong. Because you are here. The Lord knows them that are His. Let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In a great house are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. You know, when you're in your house and you need something and you know that it's there, then you feel pretty good about it. My wife says, I need a mixing bowl to mix up some cornbread. You know what? She knows the bowl is there. She can use it. That's what he's saying here. There are things in the house that are there. Some that are very priceless and essential, some expensive. Others are wood and stone, just there. It needs to be there. He said, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he said, of course, some are to honor and some are to dishonor. If a man purge himself from these, that is the things of dishonor, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use, prepared to every good work. Shakespeare, in his King Richard III, has a, a, a line in it where King Richard says, My kingdom, my kingdom, my kingdom for a horse. He needed a horse. His horse is out from under him. And he needed to save his kingdom because he didn't have a horse. Another proverb that runs kind of along the line with this, it's an old one, and it was taken up by others during, during this life uh, and other, other poets and other writers. It, it says something like this. For, want from a nail, for, want, for the want of a nail, a shoe was lost. For the want of a shoe, a horse was lost. For the want of a horse, a kingdom was lost. All go back to the nail. Maybe you're a nail. <laughs> Maybe you're just someone that's there. And as I look out over this audience this morning, I see a lot of people that are not here. But you're here. You're here. 
And you're important because you're here. Because people depend on you. The kingdom depends on you. People just like you. You say, well, I'm just me. Yes, you are. But you are here. Okay? The next thing is, the boy was willing. He didn't run off with his basket of loaves and fishes. He didn't, he didn't huddle down and hold over and say, wait a minute, this is for my family. Some even might have thought that maybe he was there as a vendor. He was there to sell his loaves and fishes. Well, if he was, he didn't make any issue of it, did he? He was, he was willing. He was willing to do what needed to be done. He was willing to give those loaves and fishes to Andrew. He might have thought that his offering was inadequate. Maybe I don't have enough. Well, obviously, if he looked around, 5,000 men besides women and children, how far is this going to go? Why, 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 why give it up if you can't use it? Because it's, it's just this little, so why do you need it? He didn't do that, did he? He was willing. Now I'm thinking about Isaiah along this line. If you have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 6. There's an interesting situation going on here. There are four living creatures, seraphims, they're called. They had four different faces and had wings. As a matter of fact, these, I think, had six wings. Anyway, they were flying around and they were saying, before the throne of God, and they were crying out, Holy, holy, holy. What they were saying was that God is, is pure. That God is unrestricted in His goodness. That everything about God is good. Holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah was thunderstruck by this. What Isaiah thought is what I'd think too. I'm, I'm not holy. I'm dirty. I'm filthy. God is clean and He's wonderful and He's pure. And the, and the seraphim are saying, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah said, not me. Matter of fact, Isaiah 6 and verse 5, he says, Woe is unto me, I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. And I will dwell, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of Lords. So he's saying, I, I can't say holy, holy, holy because I'm dirty, dirty, dirty. Basically is what he's feeling. I can't say this. And as a matter of fact, an angel came and, and put a burning coal to his mouth and purified him, purified his mouth. That's not the end of the story. The next thing we know in verse 8 and 9 in Isaiah 6, he said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Now what he was wanting, to, wanting him to do, want, wanting someone to do, was go say something, go talk to his people, go preach to his people. You know, Isaiah is saying, I can't do this because my lips are dirty. Dirty words, dirty thoughts, dirty deeds. I can't do this. He got the coal on his mouth. Then the next issue would be, in his mind, they're not going to listen anyway. Not going to listen anyway. Why should I go tell them? Matter of fact, God tells him that. He said, go and tell this people here indeed, but understand not and see Ye indeed, but perceive not. Then he goes ahead to tell them, they're not going to listen to you, Isaiah. But he said, go tell them anyway. Okay. Here's the boy. Here's Isaiah. Here we are. The boy says, I've got two and five. What, what are we going to do? 
but not enough. He doesn't do that, does he? He just uses what he has. Isaiah says, I can't go because my lips are dirty. And God says, I'll cleanse your lips. Isaiah thinks, they're not going to listen to me anyway. What do you think? When the Lord says, hey, you need to tell someone about me. What do you say? You know, I've tried before, but they don't. They just don't listen. And you know what God says? I don't care. They're probably not going to listen. I want you to tell them. I want you to tell them. That's what the boy, the boy had, he didn't have enough to feed them. Why give them, why do this? They're not going to have enough to eat anyway. People are not going to listen to what I have to say about Jesus. So I'm not going to tell them. Why should I tell them I don't feel like I'm worthy enough to tell them? Are you there? Are you, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to tell them? Well, this boy was dependable too. You know, that's, that's another key issue here. He was dependable. He was there. He was not off somewhere else playing like the rest of the boys would be doing. He was a dependable young man. You could depend on him. You could know that he was going to be there and be ready and be willing and stand tall, wasn't he? He was, a, he was dependable. Boys his age would have naturally not been doing what he was doing. We, Jesus encountered the same attitude among his followers, and he does today too. People are not dependable. They don't show up, as it were, when the time comes to be used. We're not, when Jesus needs you, where are you? Well, I got tired of waiting. What, what you know, what, 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 what do I have to do? How can I do it? What can I do? I can't tell anybody about Jesus. You know, one of the most tragic incidents happened, I think, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Sometimes, my friend, all you need to do, all you ever need to do, is just be there. Just be there. When someone needs you, when Jesus needs you, just be there. That's all. Matthew 26, verse 40. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And, they went, and his followers went to sleep. He came unto the disciples. He found them asleep. He said unto Peter, What could you not watch with me one hour? Why couldn't you just be with me for one hour? Just be with me. Sometimes just coming alongside someone when they need you. Jesus said, This person is hurting I need to be with them. I don't want you to go and stand with them. You don't have to say anything to them. You don't have to tell them how sorry you are for whatever problems are going on in their life. You don't have to. Just be there. Just be there. And, and Jesus just, he just needed to know that his men were with him. You know what happened? God had to send him an angel. He sent an angel down to strengthen him. When all, of, all he needed was one of his men to stand and, and pray with him. Be with me. And he wasn't there. Nobody was there. Involved. This boy was involved. How, how do you think he was involved? Well, he was, he was in the crowd, wasn't he? 
He knew what Jesus was doing. He was happy to be present. He was active. He knew that there was something going on. He knew that that there was time for supper and he was involved in, in trying to help out. The boy was. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 through 36, this kind of, kind, of, kind of brings me back to this. This boy was central to the story, but he, he had a minor part, a small part, a little part. Do you ever think you have a little part in the kingdom? Just a little part? That you have a minor role to play? You're really not doing that much for the Lord? Well, that's what happened to this, this kid, but Jesus took him and, and it was a central part. It was a central part of what he needed to get done. He got it done. In Matthew 25, verse 34 through 36, you, you know we've got a judgment scene. And in the judgment scene, it says, The king will say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, and you gave me meat. Involved. Involved with other people. Somebody's hurting, somebody's hungry. Stepping up and giving them something to eat. That seems to be minor, doesn't it? But it's one of the issues of judgment. He said, I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. That seems minor, doesn't it? You're involved with other people. You're involved with people that have needs. You, you have a sympathetic heart. I was a stranger. Sometimes it just involves coming and sitting down next to someone and getting acquainted. That's all it takes. Jesus said, I need you to help this person not feel like a stranger. Minor part. But you know what? It's essential. It's essential. That's what's happening in our society today. We're falling apart. Especially in the society of the kingdom of God, we're falling apart. We don't feel like our brothers and sisters have any need. We don't feel like people around us have any need. We don't, we don't invite them to church because they're probably not going to come anyway. That's what the boy, you know, why try to feed them? We can't give them enough anyhow. They won't listen. That's what, what uh, Isaiah thought. Naked and, and you clothed me. I was sick. You visited me. I was sick and you visited me. You just let me know that I, I didn't feel well. Maybe just a telephone call. I don't know. What does it take? I don't know. I don't know, but it takes something. I was in prison. You came unto me. I don't know how many times we've had to go see somebody in prison. Maybe someone who needs to be, someone who's in prison because they're a believer in Jesus Christ. Somebody needs some, somebody to come along and say, hey, well, I know you're suffering. I know you're, you're being abused. I, I, I just want to want to be there with you, let you know that I, I care about you. And then the lad was humble. Boy, this is, this is a big one to me. The boy was humble kind of hard to be humble when you're as great as we are, isn't it? But the boy was humble. He didn't claim credit for his generosity. He didn't rise up in the narrative. And while I'm talking, turn to the book of Daniel. Go to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. 
Anyway, here's some good examples of someone doing something humble. Now, humility, humility is is a kind of tough to tough to uh, incorporate in our lives. When we do something we think is good, we like to be noted for it, and we like people to know that we're doing something good. But let's let's just read this together in Daniel chapter three, verse one through six. This is we're going to be talking about three of the children of Israel that were taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar when he took Jerusalem and brought all the the prime young scions of royalty with him, the leaders. He brought the princes with him, the young men that that had been schooled and trained and were. Very, very well to look upon. They, they, they were the elite of the society of uh, Israel. So it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits. Now I, I assume that's about 70 feet tall. That's pretty tall. Some of these fir trees that you run around looking at, they're 35 and 40 feet tall. Double that. Here was an image about... Three score, three score cubits, maybe sixty or seventy feet tall. The breadth, six cubits, seven, eight, eight, maybe ten feet across. He set it in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So he set up a big image, image to himself. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the councils, the sheriffs, and all the rulers. He got all the high mucky mucks around. All the, all the rulers, all the leaders, bring them in. And he said, uh, he, said he, he wanted them to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together under the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried loud. So now they're going to make an announcement. To you it is commanded, O people, nations and languages. Everybody listen. That at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, all kinds of music, you'll fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. When you hear the music, bow down. Whosoever falls down and worships shall the same hour. Whosoever falls not down and worships the same hour, he'll be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. We know the story, don't we? Do we? Let's read it. Verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said unto them, he's talking to Shadrach, Meshach, and some call it Abednego. It's Abednego we usually call it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do not you serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. So he took these three young men, the princes, the elite from Israel. These young men were good young men. They were well trained. They were well educated. They, they had good visages. They, they just looked like princes. He said, you need to fall down. He said, uh, now why, 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 why didn't you do this? He said, now if, now if you be ready, that at the time you hear the sound of the cornet, so you're going to give him another shot at this, you time you hear the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psalter, the dulcimer, all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. 
But if you worship not, you'll be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? So they're going to give them another shot at it. You know what they said? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful. He's saying, we're not just, we're not just going to jump in and say something off the top of our heads. We're going to, we're going to make sure that, you, that we get this right. We, we, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. If so be, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from a bur burning fiery furnace, He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve any gods, nor worship the golden images that you have set up. So, what they do? Now I want you to look carefully at this. These men had not gone out and created an uproar about this thing. They had not. They did not take on Nebuchadnezzar's advisors. He, they didn't take on the sheriffs. They didn't go out to the populace and say, Hey, we can't do this. They didn't go out and gather a crowd to come watch. They just personally, individually said, We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And they didn't. They didn't go on a protest. They didn't raise the rabble. They didn't do anything. They didn't go to their neighbors and say, Hey, maybe you shouldn't do this either. You know what they did? They just did not fall down before that image. And they were thrown in the fiery furnace. Well, we know the story. There was another man in the furnace with them. He brought them back out unburned, unscathed. And Nebuchadnezzar decided maybe he'd made a mistake. Okay. Get that in your mind. You're just an individual. Now when some issue comes along where somebody's going to ask you to do something wrong, even if it's the government, if it's wrong, what do you do? We say, I'm going to go get up a group and I'm going to make sure that everybody knows we can't do this. What did these guys do? They just didn't do it. They didn't do it. We're talking about what you can do as an individual, not what you can get everybody else in the world to do, not what you can convince other people to do, but what you do. Shadrach said, I'm not going to do it. I just, he just didn't do it quietly. He just did not do it. Shadrach didn't either. Meshach didn't either. What they say? They said, okay, if you throw us in the furnace, God will take care of us. If not, we're still going to serve Him. If we're burned up, we're still going to serve Him, he said. That was their attitude. But it wasn't something that they demonstrated wildly and widely. They just did it. That's what you can do as an individual. Someone tells you to do something wrong, what do you do? Well, you don't run around getting all your neighbors all worked up about it. What you do is say, oh, no, I'm not going to do it. Don't do it. You don't have to announce that you're not going to do it. Just don't do it. You don't have to have a party not doing it with you. You see what I'm saying? Just don't do it. They didn't. Turn a few pages. Let's go down a few, a few years. 10, 20, 30 years later. Daniel comes along. The kingdom of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar have been unseated. 
And now then, Darius the Persian is the emperor over the kingdom. And he confronts another fellow that we know, and his name is Daniel. So in Daniel 6, verse 1 through 10, it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes. So Darius decided he would rule his kingdom with 120 men. That's his cabinet, if you want to call it that. President's cabinet. That they would be over the whole kingdom. And over these, the 120, I'll put three. Daniel was the head of them. He was the first. The, the princes might give accounts to them and the king should have no damage. So he was going to look out for the king's interest. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Just put him right at the head of everything. Daniel. Well, that sounds good. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no occasion for fault for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error of fault found in him. They couldn't find anything to get him on. They didn't like it that, that, that Darius was going to put him over the whole kingdom answerable only to him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So there's something about Daniel that these fellows recognized that Daniel thought a little bit more of his God than he did of Darius. Now they knew that. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said unto him, King Darius, live forever. As the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes and the counselors and the captains have consulted together, establish a royal statute, and make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god, Anybody that asks his God anything for 30 days now, it's just a 30-day moratorium. You cannot ask anybody else for a favor except Darius. You only, ask, you only can talk to him about this, which eliminated prayer. Daniel then was told he couldn't ask God for anything. That's what was going on. He said, you don't ask anybody for anything except you, O king. He'll be cast into the den of lions. We'll throw him into the lions if he does. Now he said, O, o king, establish the decree and sign the writing that he be not changed according to the law of Medes and Persians, which abide not. So whenever they wrote a document down, that meant that it was, you can't change it. It's not like our constitution that you can amend. You can change the constitution. By, by vote by the ballot by representation you couldn't do that with these, with these ordinances so once they wrote it down it was written as it were in stone don't change it wherefore King Darius signed the writing and the decree now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed he went into his house what did Daniel do did he go out in the street and did he get all of his all of his counselors and all those who agreed with him, all of those who were part of his group, and say, okay, we're going we're gonna to challenge this. We're going to challenge the king. I'm going to do this, and I want you to all stand behind me because we're in the right on this. Watch what Daniel did. He went into his room 
opened the curtain so he could look toward Jerusalem because that's his home. He's looking toward home. He wasn't looking toward a holy place as such. He's looking toward his home where he came from. That's where he felt like God should be worshipped as well. So he was looking toward Jerusalem. What did he do? He prayed. He kneeled down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did four times. He just prayed by himself without any fanfare, without gathering his supporters. He just prayed. What can you do? Pray. Sometimes we go out to eat somewhere in a public place. We're ashamed to pray. We don't want people to think that we're religious, maybe. What do we do? I know this, that, that people are influenced by prayer. It doesn't have to be a show. Daniel wasn't making a show of it. He wasn't going to stand out on the balcony like the Pope of Rome does in Vatican City, stand out and make his gestures. He didn't do that. Daniel went into the privacy of his house. But you know what? They knew. So they spied on him. They, had, they, they knew that Daniel was a praying man. Does anybody know you're a praying person? Anybody know that? Because you pray? You know what? That's, that's an influence. That is quite an influence. That makes quite an impact. It made an impact on them. Matter of fact, it made an impact on Darius. Such an impact was he threw him in the lion's den. But he hoped, he said, oh, I pray, Daniel, that nothing, I, I, he was up all night hoping that maybe God had shut the mouths of the lions, which he had done, and Daniel was preserved. But besides all of that, the point is, the, the small thing that he did, he just, I'm not saying praying about someone else. I'm not saying that, that here the minor part that Daniel was doing, he wasn't praying about anybody else. He was talking to God. He was talking to God. That's all he was doing. So, what can you do? What can you do? I'm not saying you need to pray for someone else, although we do. But just you're talking to God. You know, I, I know a lot of grown men in their older age have told me that one of the most powerful influences that have ever gone on in their life was when they saw their mother or father in the privacy of their home praying made an impact made an impact on their lives all of their lives it affected them saw them reading their Bible just doing those simple things what can I do what did this boy do this boy was available are you there are you here when the Lord wants you are you available can you do what can you do that the little guy did are you willing? Are you looking around saying, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'll go. I'll go. Dependable? When He needs you, are you going to be there for Him? Involved? How involved are you with the Lord? How involved are you with the church, with your brothers and sisters in Christ? The church is the bride of Christ. It belongs to Him. He needs things done among His people. Where are you? Are you humble? Ready to do anything? Just anything that the Lord wants you to do? You know, God help you.
God help you be that minor part in a greater scheme with greater impact and far-reaching results. Just be there, be available, be willing, be dependable, be involved, and don't expect to get a lot of fanfare and praise for it. Just, just do it. God help you. Shall we stand together and sing the song of invitation?